Chapter 16 of Your Pay Envelope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in August 2022. Chapter 16 What's Wrong with the World? My dear John, while I think I have shown you that socialism is not what it pretends to be, a certain remedy for all the social evils of our day, and that it is utterly impossible for socialism to keep its promises by making this world over into a veritable kingdom of God on earth, we must not make the mistake of dismissing all the contentions of the socialists as so many exhibitions of mental aberration. There is madness in some of their doctrines. It is a crazy kind of the future that they have planned for us. But behind all their absurdities, there is a well-justified protest against a series of social and industrial abuses from which the great body of humanity is suffering as from so many hideous sores. Mind you, John, I do not say that socialists never exaggerate existing conditions, we have already seen how prone they are to try to make us put the most gloomy construction on the social outlook, and how ready they are to twist statistics into all kinds of strange contortions to make them fit their theories, in an endeavor to prove that the evils which exist are ever so much more glaring than they really are. But the evils exist. The worker does not get an adequate share of the wealth which he contributes to produce, the problem of unemployment cries for solution from one end of the world to the other. In every state and country, the evils of child labor demand a remedy. Everywhere, numbers of men and women work under conditions that are a disgrace to our boasted civilization, and in all parts of the land, workers are compelled to live in an environment and under circumstances that absolutely preclude the attainment of the ideals toward which humanity is supposed to be tending. In a word, we cannot deny that something is radically wrong with the world. So far, we may go hand in hand with the socialist. To the extent that he demands reform measures which shall give to the worker greater opportunities for development and happiness, we must heartily concur. But is the socialist right when he asserts that these wrongs are the inevitable result of the system which he calls capitalism? Is it impossible, as he insists, that these wrongs may be righted except by an overthrow of our present system and the substitution of collective ownership of all means of production for our privately owned competitive method of managing things? When the socialist tells us that individualism is responsible for all these evils, he is right. When he tells us that these evils are inherent in the system which permits individual ownership of productive properties, he is wrong. It is not the competitive system that is responsible for all our social and industrial abuses. These unjust features of modern life are the direct result of the vicious practices which selfish and cruel individuals have adopted in their relations to their fellow men, but which did not necessarily have any place in the system itself. If you were to study the development of political economy, 
you would discover that the marked degradation of the workers as well as much of the callousness of the prosperous to the sufferings of the poor are the direct result of the economic ideas promulgated by the liberal philosophers of the eighteenth and nineteenth centuries liberty fraternity and equality are terms to conjure with but once we apply these principles to the practical affairs of life we have started society upon a downward course which can be checked only by a complete reversal of such ideas the french deists sought to remove all trammels from man that he might follow nature without restraint they and the economists who followed them adam smith ricardo bentham mill and others saw no room for morality religion or even ethics in political economy the natural effect of such principles was to foster the selfish impulses of man rather than enforce conformity to the standards of conduct which are embodied in the eternal laws of justice these principles taught men that the matter of prime importance was self-interest they encouraged cruelty and greed they opened the way for the practice of unregulated competition and stultified the christian ideals of self-renunciation and human brotherhood a political economy without ethics without a rule of right except as set down in man-made law can have none of the elements of justice save possibly through sheer accident legal morality and the morality for which christianity has always stood are as opposed as the two poles in many particulars where the principles of true morality are recognized there is no inherent antagonism between capital and labor they have interests that are mutual and there is no excuse for turning the industrial world into a battleground upon which strength and cunning usurp the place of love and justice the moment that the higher ideals of life are subordinated to the passion of greed the degradation of the weaker and less cunning becomes inevitable history shows us that this is precisely what has happened instead of becoming a means to progress the competitive system through lack of control has resulted in a form of unlicensed competition which as j j welsh asserts in socialism individualism and catholicism page nineteen may be rightfully ascribed as commercial cannibalism it delivers up weak unorganized labor into the hands of organized and omnipotent capital without regard for the skill of the worker the value of his labor or the requirements of a decent human life the competitive principle justifies the capitalist in paying the workman the least which in the circumstances he can compel him to accept the employer shelters himself under the law of supply and demand as though that were the supreme regulator of the remuneration and conditions of labor there is no savor of morality in such a principle it gives an unfair advantage to the few rich who control the instruments of production over the defenseless masses and it makes a question of strict justice the remuneration and the actual subsistence of the toiler and his family depend upon a trial of strength between two contending parties there is no right-minded man who is not ready to join the socialists in their condemnation of the effects of the operations of this principle of unrestrained competition were we compelled to believe that there was no way by which this system could be changed but that the human sorrow and merciless injustice 
resulting from the exploitation of the weak by the strong must continue unchecked until our system of production and distribution has been completely overthrown there are comparatively few of us who would not go still further and urge the adoption of the collective methods of industry it is because we believe that it is our unregulated competition and not the principle of individual ownership itself which is destructive of right and justice that we do not and cannot join hands with the socialists as we shall see it is possible to bring about a correction of the abuses from which countless thousands have suffered and are still suffering as we shall see there are instruments within our reach with which we may check the unbounded lust of greed which has made this generous earth a veil of woe and mourning for the poor while we do not agree with socialistic principles therefore we recognize the justice embodied in the socialist protest and much as we deplore the spirit which has exaggerated our evils with a view to inciting class hatred and a revolution that can result only in violence and bloodshed we should be blind if we did not appreciate the fact that it is this protesting sentiment that has been to a marked degree responsible for the moral awakening that will eventually set things right for example there can be no doubt that there is justification for the socialist declaration regarding the unequal distribution of wealth the facts in the case are too notorious to permit of denial when multitudes are suffering all the woes of destitution when many are starving for lack of life's bare necessities and while the few are able to waste in extravagance the means which would relieve the sufferings of countless thousands if properly applied Quote, the pestilential principle that each man has the right to dispose of his wealth without regard to the common good is the cause of the widespread mischief says welch this unjust principle is also responsible for the inadequate rate of wage and the horrible conditions which exist so generally among the miserable multitude there are those who may deny that such conditions prevail but our own eyes and ears to say nothing of the great mass of statistical information which is within our reach prove conclusively that there are untold thousands of children who are born into a world without a chance of life or happiness the vast multitudes of young women unable to sustain life in the unequal struggle for existence are driven to the streets for the sustenance which they find it impossible to earn by honest toil that men and women who are entitled in strict justice to a wage that will support them and those dependent on them are deprived of all their natural rights through no fault of their own for them there is no such thing as decent food clothing and shelter possible to say nothing of the hope of ever being able to meet the higher but no less natural requirements of life christianity has always held that it is the duty of each and all to preserve life decently and that anything that tends to make this impossible is a crime this idea of class duties and class comforts is either explicitly or implicitly referred to as the final test in every question of distribution or exchange says ashley who quoted langenstein in evidence of the fact that these principles of industrial justice were recognized prior to the fourteenth century Quote, 
Everyone, says the latter, can determine for himself the just price of the wares he has to sell by simply reckoning what he needs in order to support himself in his rank of life. End quote. And those who have read the writings of the church fathers do not need to be told that Christianity has ever maintained the necessity of recognizing the right of the worker to a living wage. These traditional teachings are embodied in the encyclical of Pope Leo XIII, who repudiates the principle that competition alone determines the morality of the so-called free contract. Quote, there is a dictate of nature more imperious and more ancient than any bargain between man and man that the remuneration must be enough to support the wage earner in reasonable and frugal comforts says the pope if through necessity or fear of a worse evil the workman accepts harder conditions because an employer or contractor will give him no better he is the victim of force and injustice End quote. The socialists claim that the Marxian gospel affords the only possible relief for the victims of this force and injustice. As I have already asserted, if this were true, a great many more of us would be Marxists. As it is, however, there is a remedy which we may adopt with safety, and with every assurance that it may be applied successfully, if we but get together and work together in the right way. End of chapter 16 What's wrong with the world?